the ending of our second full day and night of practice. Reflecting on how we are. In one sense, we could uh, consider oh, only two days. And yet it, it can seem a lot longer. I'm traveling through a roller coaster of myriad states. One can get the feeling for the wisdom. of spiritual form I contemplate as within a temple template in ancient times so we were told the spiritual seeker would enter the temple walk onto the sacred ground the ground designated is that um, place which is conducive for revelation, for seeing into the true nature, not being beguiled by appearances. We might enter the temple you know, with excitement. Who I'm walking, walking the way that the wise ones of the past have walked, the sacred ground. It is the second stick pine. The beauty of the dawn might turn into the glare of the midday sun or the chill of the midday rain. It's not so exciting. But in our commitment to staying within the boundaries of the temple, we hang in there. We have the opportunity to to see the myriad states come and go. So on the one hand, you could, you could say that the, the, the temple, the stricture, the structure of the so-called religious form might, might bind one. On the other hand, through that conscious holding to the limitation, it's possible to be liberated from all sorts of false notions about things. We actually can see the myriad and actually untrustworthy states of mind, the ones that are so excited, I'll do this forever, the ones that are, gosh, I can't take another second, I could scream if I hear the word peacefulness one more time. (laughs) I'll just scream. then that dissolves too. Religion originally had that uh, wisdom in, in the word, religere, to bind. Bind oneself to practices for the sake, for the sake of liberation. Religere, to join that which has been split. Similar to the word yoga, same same principle, yoga, to yoke. Yoga means to yoke, to bind. A conscious binding oneself to practices, reflections, contemplations, for example, asanas, movements, for the sake of uh, liberating ourselves from a mistaken identity with what moves through the heart. And in letting go of that, one one has the possibility of the unification, the recognition of kinship with all that is.
We've been practicing these first couple of days uh, some foundation meditative practices, the calming, steadying, cultivating this primary relationship with body, breath, learning again to relate to thought as a way of directing attention to here, to now, and to directing the attention and then receiving, allowing awareness guided by that thought to feel into how we are and then to adjust too much effort, relax, too little effort, like a tighten the string, tuning our instrument of practice. And this morning Tanisra um, spoke about uh, that which obstructs us. Learning to recognize that when the heart is, is caught up in wanting to be somewhere else, longing, Trapped here in the hall, and then maybe maybe seeing a distant hillside, beam of light touching a distant field. Something in this wants to be there. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing evil about that. But just noticing when there's the Notion, the, the powerful pull of wanting to be somewhere else. It keeps one from <coughs> penetrating deeply into the moment because that has created the sense of it's not good here. It's better there. Similarly, aversion, painful knee, aching back, restless legs, the tyrannical judging mind that just won't ever let up on us. Telling us we took too much of this and didn't take enough of that. Tennis was encouraging us to, to open our awareness to to these formations rather than just getting lost in them or judging them to get a feeling for the being pulled by desire recoiling with aversion stuck in the mud of lethargy to, to actually turn the gaze of our contemplation to include heaviness dullness or its mirror image, fretting, restlessness, anxiety, won't really settle. Or a debilitating, entangling formation that we could call doubt. It's always paralyzing us. Oh, I'm not really sure. I'm probably not doing it right. And we just hurt so much. Just not really. But to, to notice that, to include that. She was opening the door of contemplation, revealing the two the two great dimensions of meditation that are related the calming practices steadying practices what's called samatha and the insight practices the looking into reflecting hmm what's going on with this vi means into pasana means to see into the two different words and and Sometimes it can make them sound, you know, opposing. 
different entities. This is part of, part of the... deception of language there's even whole schools of meditation vipassana insight, liberation those guys over there doing samatha, look at them, they're just lost in bliss I heard of a master that was lost in bliss for five years (laughs) he thought it was nibbana, not us we're doing vipassana look at those vipassaninis over there thinking they're doing wise reflection. They're just thinking, thinking in circles. Just look at them with the furrowed brows, <laughs> thinking they're penetrating Nibbana. Ha, ha, ha. What samadhi do they have that can cut through? We do samatha and then break through. There's whole samatha schools, vipassana schools. The Buddha taught Vipassana Samatha, he said, like two oxen that work in tandem. They work together. And all of them are expressions of awareness, expressions of the heart. And Samatha, as you've noticed, Good samatha, good calming and steadying. Yes, it includes the vitaka, the directing, steadying of the heart. But it, it's, it's always accompanied by vichara in the beginning dimensions. Vichara which feels out and adjusts. Too much effort calms down. Too little effort tightens up the tension a bit. All samatha has to have within it wise reflection. And vipassana, to look into and inquire into the nature of conditions, the nature of moods and thoughts and feelings and forms, requires a quality of steadiness of heart. Otherwise it is true. If we don't have enough steadiness of heart, then we're just thinking we're doing vipassana when really we're just thinking and following our assumptions our opinions about things, rather than actually allowing the heart, the, that part of us which knows and inquires, to look into and see for ourselves. When the Buddha was cultivating calm states, and he recognized their pleasing abiding, pleasant abiding here and now, their refresh, refreshing quality. He also recognized that they're impermanent. Recognized. That though they were pleasing, if the heart just got excited and wanted to possess that state, it would just lead to frustration because the the state changes. Our calm is dependent as we steady it on the nervous system or on the quality of the breath. It's relatively calm, but it changes, doesn't it? If we want it just not to change, we get frustrated. image that always comes to my mind is I grew up on Lake Chickamauga outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee and on the summer days calm summer days as it cooled down in the evening sometimes the lake would become like glass so quiet you could whisper it seemed like and, and the sound would just travel so deliciously calm and tranquil. Something that just... I love that state. And then before you know it... Somebody's got their motorboat out and they're wanting to 
you can, ah! But that's the word, that's, that's the nature of calm, that dimension of calm. It's calm and then the wind blows or the motorboat comes. We're calm and then the knee hurts too much. We have to go to the toilet or, gosh, why do I have to ring the bell now? I'm just about to break through. <laughs> I mean, this, this is, if I don't ring the bell and get enlightened, then maybe that would make up for it. <laughs> if I do ring the bell and don't get enlightened, I might regret it for the rest of my life. The dilemmas. <laughs> On the night of the Buddha's enlightenment, he recognized the limitation of tranquility and also appreciated its blessing, the unification of body mind, the refreshment. The vigilance, the alertness. Then he just turned, slightly turned. Vipassana is not far away from samatha. Right, just slight. Rather than more just holding the steadiness, when one just adjusts slightly to look into the nature of conditions. to start contemplating the characteristics of, uh, of experience, of what's called existence, of what we take to be me, what we take to be real. This is the work of, of, of Vipassana, and it's not limited just to being with the breathing. We can be with the breathing, and then as we're adjusting just a little bit as we're breathing in and breathing out we can notice change what the Buddha called ahnicca not permanent as we're breathing in just the slightest change as we're breathing in noticing the sensations becoming otherwise thought might say in breath Sounds like a thing. That thought is a pointer. But that thought isn't it. That thought can't capture it. When we actually are in contact with the actuality of an in-breath, it's becoming otherwise every instant dissolving. It's gone. It's empty. It's there and it's gone. And the out-breath In-breath, out-breath. All the sensations shifting, changing, pleasing, neutral, difficult, burning, aching, vibrating, resonating. Not only with his body, but we can also contemplate other forms, sounds of the Dharma talk, the Kitty Sorrow's Dharma talk. It sounds solid. <coughs> oh God, I've, I don't know if I can take any more Dharma talks. They're just so indigestible. <laughs> But if one goes close to a Dhamma talk, it digests itself, keeps dissolving on us. All these words, sounds, might sound solid, like that was a great talk, and my goodness, that was heavy. It was heavy. Even the words heavy keeps dissolving. Try to get hold of it. It's not just sounds. 
It's also other forms, like, like the day. Each time you think it's rainy, then you, you go and it's and then it's sunny, and it's cold, and it's warm. One actually goes right to our experience. The seeing right now is our experience. Eyes blinking, forms moving, sound shifting and dissolving. Tastes, smells, sensations, not to mention thoughts. It's very powerful when we start to allow and gather in to our contemplation, the nature of thoughts. The thoughts that are so seductive and so beguiling that are telling us, wow, this is, this is a great retreat. And then when they're telling us, especially when these so-called hindrances are coming, I'm just, I can't do it. It's too much. When we just feel hopeless but to actually rather than get so lost in the story or trying to find somewhere else trying to get rid of something what if we allow ourselves with the modicum of stability of steadiness that we have to just slightly adjust our Reflection to see the changing nature of a thought. These thoughts that are telling us we're happy, we're not happy. Listen to them as they're there and then dissolve. Someone this evening in the questions who was saying, well, God, the frustration, I just can't find my heart. It's, it seems quite diffuse. That's profound. That's an important insight. Because when we do think it's located somewhere, as soon as we look at that, oh, it's located there. Then it shifts and dissolves. What we take to be our heart is not our true heart. In the Shurangama Sutra, a Mahayana discourse, the, the Buddha said, we do not attain the goal, we do not awaken, because we don't understand the two fundamental roots. And that through not understanding these two fundamental roots, we experience uh, just endless suffering. And by this not understanding, even though we're practicing really hard, he said it's like cooking sand, hoping to get a tasty meal. <coughs> we're diligent, and we got the fire there, and we've got the best pans, non-stick pans. <sighs> and we're not green energy... Cooking away, cooking away, cooking away, shaking, getting some spices. No matter how much we cook, if we're cooking sand, hoping to get a savory, tasty meal, we're going to be disappointed when we're practicing with wrong understanding. We might get 10 for 10 out of effort but we won't arrive at our goal. And this first root of beginningless birth and death is taking objects to be self. Taking that which moves through the heart, moves through our experience. Heart's just a word for our 
capacity to know, to experience. When we, when we, here's how the Buddha worded it. The root of beginningless birth and death is the mind that seizes upon conditions that you and all living beings now make use of, taking it to be me, taking it to be self. What conditions? Like happiness? Take it to be me. Pain, unhappiness. Because we don't understand this changing nature. When we really see this ever-changing nature of the conditions of morning and evening. The condition of in-breath and out-breath. The condition of being too hot and then, then too cold. Feeling certain. Have the insight. beautiful to have an insight but when we take that condition to be me trouble some people would come up the ones came up to Ajahn Chah once and said Ajahn Chah I've been on retreat I had this incredible insight this amazing experience Ajahn Chah and he says something else to let go of (laughs) there's nothing wrong with insights it's great to have insights but to realize that, that those conditions, that, that they're conditions, they're that which comes, goes. When we take it to be me, it's the cause of endless birth and death. That's the wrong view. That's the wrong understanding. That's, when we practice with that wrong understanding, think we're going to get there. And then we, we, we hold on to this feeling, hold on to that circumstance, hold on to that form, hold on to that calm, Lake Chickamauga tranquility. There's nothing evil about it, but it just it's birth when we grasp something that we like, and then it's death when it shifts and changes, and then we scramble for security somewhere else. At some point, and this is the importance of vipassana, the importance of looking into this, this simple and yet profound characteristic of ahnicca, not permanent. All the great profound insights into emptiness, non-self, they all come out of impermanence. Being able to notice a sound is here, and then it's gone. An in-breath is manifesting, and then it dissolves. Dukkha emerges out of this. When we realize something is is changing, then to ask something that's changing to give us security and stability it's like a child looking at the full moon. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Wouldn't it be nice if the moon was always full and shining? Wouldn't it be nice if everybody was nice all the time? Wouldn't it be nice if there was just pleasant feeling all the time? That's the... It's all right, but those are the, that's a child's imagining. The moon is full and then it waxes and wanes. All of us on a multiple choice, um, 
Are things permanent or impermanent? We would all say impermanent. Is the, is the body permanent or impermanent? Impermanent. <laughs> is my bank account permanent or impermanent? Permanent. <laughs> we all would get a hundred out of a hundred, and yet we, we don't, we still don't really know that. When one really, in our meditation, allow our steadiness to start shifting, and then as we breathe, to just begin to sustain the recognition of change. 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 And allow that to open, to include the seeing and the hearing and the feeling and the posture, the walking, the sitting. When we really taste, sense, know, because all these senses didn't become knowing this cascade of change, then it's obvious, it becomes obvious that we can't grasp anything. Dukkha means not perfect, not satisfying, not reliable. That if we take hold of a beautiful feeling and want it to always be there, that, that's just... Ajahn Chah said it's like standing by a river arguing with a river. Why are you flowing that way? Why aren't you going the other way? Come on. You're going the wrong way. Or he said it's like going up to a duck and saying... Why aren't you a chicken? <laughs> Quacking is a bit boring. You could wake people up on retreat, really make good karma. Come on, cockle doodle doo, you can say it. Don't be stuck in duckhood. <laughs> you can be a rooster. Duck would just look at us like we're real dumbo. Ajahn Chah had these earthy images like that. But that's what we're doing all the time when we're, as he said, looking for certainty in that which is uncertain. When we take a condition to be me, a praise, uh, a pleasant word, a lovely thought, and look for certainty, we... Upadana, the Buddha called it. We lean on it. We, we climb onto it. We are born thinking it's solid. There's the assumption of solidity. And that false assumption, then when the condition changes, as is its nature. There's stress. So the not-self emerges out of that recognition of change. We, we call this body mine. We call this mood mine. It's just a way of talking. It's not really mine. When there really is the sense of owning something and leaning on it, then it, when it changes, there's that shaking, trembling when there's the relinquishing, letting go, allowing things to shift and change. It's the tasting of another dimension that we hadn't noticed. Tennyson quoted the Mula Sutra this morning. Mula means root. M-U-L-A, Mula. Someone was asking about it in a note. Chandamulaka vuso sabe dhamma. All dharmas are rooted in desire. When, when desire creates, it creates things. Something that seems real. Something that I want. Born of attention are all things. One hasn't really inquired. Desire creates the sense of a me, of a you, of a thing. Later in that sutra, 
Panyutarasabedama. Wisdom surmounts all things. Wisdom. Yonisomanasikara. Reflecting. Radical reflection. Reflecting on the nature of things with the context. The context of conditions. Noticing that all these conditions are rising and ceasing back into this womb of awareness. Wisdom, then we'll notice that all things keep dissolving, shifting. Vimuttisarasabedama is the next line. Wisdom sees the changing, impermanent, unsatisfactory, selfless, insubstantial nature. Vimutti means freedom, spaciousness, unboundedness. Vimuttisarasabedama. Yielding deliverance as essence are all things. At the heart of every moment. Every circumstance, though it might seem beautiful or ugly, difficult or easeful, when our wisdom notices the nature of what's coming and going, we can realize the vimutti, the spaciousness at the core. The next line, amatogadasabhidama, merging in the deathless are all things. Merging in the deathless. Merging in that which never dies. What does that mean? And we've been chanting the... Remember, we've been hearing about this luminous heart, that the heart is luminous, but that we don't see it because we're confused by what's moving through the heart and we lose touch with the source, with the ground. We've been chanting every day that this dharma, this peaceful, unconditioned, Undying dharmas, always sanditikos, always here and now. Akaliko, not bound in time. Ehipasiko, always inviting us. What could that mean? Well, it means right now, even according to that teaching, right now, with our body just as it is. Oh, but surely it couldn't be with my aching back. Or I've got this terrible memory of something that I did that I just don't want anybody to ever know about. It was horrible. Vimuttisarasabhidama. The essence of that very condition is perfect freedom. True peace. The timeless Buddha is always here and now. What could that mean? All things merge in the deathless. Language tells us male and female and young and old and here and there and good and bad. All these distinctions, bits and pieces. Where, where is the place where it comes together? Sometimes an analogy helps us, helps us see. We've called this retreat Touching the Earth. Mother Earth's a good analogy. If our perspective is superficial, we might just notice what's on the surface. Notice the beech trees, the birch trees, oak trees, these incredible trees in this English countryside, the ancient ones. pine trees or flowers or bushes 
We can designate all the differences, but what happens if a branch falls off? Or what happens if we just notice that so-called oak tree and beech tree? What if we just notice that tree is rooted? You say, well, that doesn't count. doesn't count. Well, if a tree doesn't have the roots, it's dead. It's not a tree anymore. You go down into the roots, get to a point where they, all the different trees are, are not too. All emerging out of the earth, all the leaves, all the branches, all the twigs fall back, become the earth. We look in just one way, we just see separation. But if we look deeper, we realize they're all part of one ground, all coming out of the ground. Or you've heard the image of the waves. We can look at the waves, the big waves, the scary waves, the surfing waves, the beautiful rippling. All those waves merge. They're part of one substance, the depth. Consciousness focuses and obsesses around objects, this root of endless birth and death. Objects, me, you, the good stuff, the bad stuff, the terrible stuff, the unworkable stuff. Where does all that stuff merge if we notice change, if we allow our wisdom to operate and notice each of those sounds, those formations, those perceptions keeps dissolving into this ground, the heart ground, the ground of silence, of listening, of awareness. When the attention's focused out totally, we just see separation. As we start to not be so beguiled by language that's telling us all these different separations, start to notice how everything's arising and ceasing, we notice how everything's appearing and dissolving back into this heart, this awareness, this formless knowingness that's not located anywhere. As soon as we think we've located it, Most of us think our heart's the body. But then, you know, the body can lose an arm. The body can be strong and then get sick. I was a champion wrestler for... I know that's hard to believe. (laughs) I could walk on my hands for 200 yards. Do 500 push-ups before tournaments. Climb ropes. was famous for my barrel roll. I now have really impressed you now. You're looking at five-time Mid-South champion. Yeah, so what? But, you know, my so-called strong body, I thought was my heart, was me. And then uh, typhoid fever knocked me down. I spent uh, years lying down. I uh, could barely move. Or we take our thoughts to be our heart. It's what the Buddha called taking a thief to be our son. We get robbed of the treasures when we take a thief to be our son. We think we can trust this person, and then they turn out to be a thief. They're robbing us. When we take our thoughts to be our true heart, it's not our true heart. Thoughts are telling us, I'm the greatest. And then they're, they're telling us, I'm the worst. I'm the greatest. I'm the worst. It's anicca. It's not permanent. Dukkha. We, we can't capture it. The Buddha said it's like grasping air. We'll just tire ourselves out. We, we won't. You can't accomplish it. 
So when we look more closely, we realize all these conditions keep dissolving into this ground. And that's the second root. The root of endless birth and death is taking objects to be who we are. That leads to frustration. When we let go, (coughs) let go of thinking it's somewhere else, let go of thinking we have to get rid of something, then we notice that second, ever-present root, the essence of, here's how the Buddha put it, in the Sharangama Sutra, the second is this primal, pure substance of the beginningless, awakened peace. It is the primal bright essence of consciousness that can bring forth all conditions. Because of conditions, you consider it to be lost. Like because we're hurting or don't feel good, we think it's gone. Then we, got, we start scurrying, looking for it somewhere else. The Buddha said, living beings lose sight of the original brightness. Therefore, though they use it to the end of their days, they are unaware of it. All things merge in the deathless. When we're using our wisdom to begin to notice the ending of sounds and conditions, like watching all the waves crash, returning, look deeper. They're all returning to the depth of the ocean. Each sound, each thought dissolving, returning part of this presence. Don't underestimate the power of even just one moment of noticing change. The Buddha said even if it's just a finger snap, one moment of noticing things becoming otherwise has immeasurable, auspicious, what the Buddha called punya, meritorious, energy in it. If we were to do good deeds and make great offerings to feed people, to give people shelter, even to offer that to virtuous people, even awakened people, there's great, great merit or great good karma in that. But more powerful than that, much more powerful, the Buddha said, is even to have one moment of noticing change. Why is that? Because one moment of seeing that the world of sight, which we get so caught up in trying to get things, when we see change, and in the world of sound, for a moment, change. The world of our body, change. Especially in the world of thought, opinions, impermanence. Hairline fractures start to manifest in this solidity. And there's a weariness will come. Not a bad weariness, a skillful weariness. What's called a world weariness, a disenchantment. It's not bad. It means the illusion's falling away. When, the, when we're enchanted, then we're imagining that the next experience, the next insight, the next hit is going to make, make the difference. When we actually start to see things shift and change, it's called the great reversal, starting to then 
realize we've been looking in the wrong place. As our Chinese master said, if you're riding on a donkey, you don't need to go look for a donkey. You have to think about that. (laughs) If you're riding on a donkey, you don't have to look for a donkey. We're going around looking for, for truth and we're actually resting in truth. We're going to be begin contemplating tonight and tomorrow as we contemplate the ending, ending of conditions. Contemplating the ever-present heart space, which is like the sky. It's been here all along. But we haven't noticed it because we've been too absorbed with what's moving through. I'll finish with a, a quote from the Buddha, one of my favorites from the Dhammapada. Akase padang nati samano nati bahire papanchabiratapajani papanchatatagata. Akase padang nati means the sky doesn't have footprints in it. There's no footprints in the sky. Samanonati Bahare. You won't find the sage. You won't find the wise one out there. The sky doesn't have footprints. Why? Because it's empty. No footprints in the sky. Actually, our nature is sky-like. It's vast. (laughs) It's measureless. When we take our heart to be thoughts and feelings and circumstances and moods. We think they're solid, they're not. When we listen closely, they're like birds flying through the sky. No footprints in the sky. You won't find the sage out there. Papancha birata, pacha nipapancha tatagata. Papancha means this conceptual proliferation. Most beings delight in that, delight in the stuff I like, the stuff I don't like, the good guys, the bad guys. Nipapanchatatagata, the Buddhas have given up that. They don't do that. The Buddhas realize that there aren't any things. Concepts make us really think there's this and there's that, but when we really start to notice change, every single thing is not really a thing, keeps dissolving. No footprints in the sky, you won't find the sage out there. Most beings delight in complexity, the Buddhas. The Tathagata is the one who's such in the midst of movement has given up that. The second and last stanza is Akase padang nati samano nati bahire. Same way, the sky doesn't have footprints in it. You won't find the sage out there. Sankara sasatanati. Conditions are not eternal. Seems very simple. Conditions are not eternal. Every condition, like even the condition of this talk, I promise you. Be patient. Conditions are not eternal. Nati Buddha Nanginjita. Buddha's never waver. Buddhas never waver. When there's this recognition of everything shifting and changing, when there's the letting go and the reversal, the turning back the light to notice the spaciousness, the perfection, the original brightness of the heart. As we get grounded into that, 
we discover an aspect of our being that has never wavered, that never will waver. It's here inviting us. Be patient. We'll get called out, pulled out, a million times lost in our worries, our doubts, our fears. We don't need to hate them. We bless them. Recognize, I see you, I know you. Let it be just what it is, like birds flying through the sky, not hurting the sky, not disturbing the sky. Finishing the day with a gift. Realizing that trying to possess things just causes suffering. Consciously letting go and sharing the goodness of our day. For the welfare of all, because we're actually of one substance anyway. All things merge, all things come together. Because we're brothers and sisters with all forms and all beings. So finishing the day in harmony with that, relaxing and sharing. We've all had moments of patience, moments of mindfulness, moments of recognition of change. There's much blessing in our efforts today. As we breathe out, sharing above, below and all around the goodness of our lives for the welfare of all beings near and far seen and unseen
Good night, everybody. <coughs> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.